Some of you uh, that were with us last week know that we began a new sermon series last week called Word, beginning with the Bible. And so throughout the month of May, we're going to be looking at the power of the Word of God, the origin of the Word of God, the Word of God, and how it, it transforms our lives and changes us. And so I'm really excited to get to do this kind of second part I'm going to go ahead and have you turn to the book of 2 Timothy, okay? So if you have your Bible, let's turn to 2 Timothy. And today, we're going to be looking at a passage. It might be familiar with, to some of you, but it's a verse that really helps us understand what the Word of God is and how it can absolutely transform our lives. So 2 Timothy is the book, and the chapter is chapter 3. If you want to turn there, that would be awesome. I want to begin by telling you a little bit about the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy actually was the second book that the Apostle Paul wrote to his son in the faith. That's how he refers to Timothy. As you know, Paul had roughly about a 30-year ministry, traveled all over the world. God used him to just lead thousands upon thousands of people to Christ, plant churches. And uh, there's no doubt that he had many mentees, we could say many of those whom he discipled, but there's clearly something very, very special to him about Timothy. And he does refer to him as his son in the faith. The book of second Timothy is the last book that the apostle Paul wrote. When Paul wrote that book, he was in a prison in Rome. Okay. And, uh, most believe that after he completed the book of 2 Timothy, it was probably roughly three months, four months, maybe as many as six months after that, that he was executed. The Apostle Paul clearly knew that he was really nearing the end of his life. And so this is kind of his farewell letter. I'm going to call it that. And as you think about that, as he had had an incredible, incredible ministry, had had a lot of trials and tribulations, and God just used him in such unbelievable ways. Here he is sitting in a dark prison in Rome, probably wanting to write some words of instruction to his dear, beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And so as I have studied, I love the book of 2 Timothy, as I have studied the book of 2 Timothy, what it is to me as much as anything else is number one, there's a, there's a very, I would almost call it endearing tone to the book. This is a, an, an older man writing to his younger son in the faith, who also God was using to do incredible ministry. And the apostle Paul in his writing in the book of 2 Timothy is basically saying, Here's the things I don't want you to miss. Timothy, here's the things as I just kind of summarize what are my top priorities, my big 10 issues. I want to make sure you get it, Timothy. Because there's a lot of times you can get sidetracked and a lot of ways that you can get distracted when you're in ministry. That is for sure. But I want to make sure that you remember what the main thing is. And so that's what the book's about. So in chapter three, he's writing very specifically to Timothy about the word of God. Okay, so we're going to pick up in verse 14. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 14 says this, and it'll be up on the screen as well. But as for you, continue in what you have learned 
and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we know, and we're going to look at another passage in chapter 1, but we know that Timothy was incredibly blessed because he grew up in a godly home. And Paul referenced, we'll go there in a moment, but Paul referenced his grandmother and his mother. His grandmother's name was uh, Lois, and his, uh, his mother's name was Eunice. And he talks to Timothy about how blessed he is to have grown up in a home where the scriptures were not only read, undoubtedly they were, they were lived out. They were lived out. What a blessing that is. You know, it's interesting for me. I came to Christ just before I turned 19 years old. Came to Christ when I was in college. And I have so many friends who grow up in wonderful Christian homes. And they say things to me like, you know, I I gave my life to Jesus when I was five. I gave my life to Jesus when I was seven. And sometimes these people say, so I don't really have a dramatic testimony. (laughs) You know, I can't share about how God saved me from drug addiction or prison or this or that. You know, it's like, you thank Jesus you don't have a dramatic testimony, okay? Believe me. Because some of us had to have God undo a lot of the junk in our lives if we came to Christ later in life. It is a blessing, my dear friends, to have grown up in a godly home. And Timothy had that blessing. Jump back to chapter 1 in 2 Timothy, and we're gonna, we want to look quickly at verse 5, because there's some beautiful things here that we see about Timothy's upbringing. 2 Timothy 1.5 says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And if Lois and Eunice were here today, we'd say, happy Mother's Day. You did it right. You did an awesome job in the life of this young man named Timothy. And they did. There's a couple words in this verse that I wanted to focus on for a moment because I think they are critical. One is the word lived. Did you see that in the verse? I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother. Let me talk about what it means to read scripture to your kids. Super important. Maybe teach them scripture songs. I found this was so true in my my girls' lives. My girls are in their 30s, by the way. So any of you know what a cassette tape is? Any of you ever heard? You do? Good. Thank you. (laughs) We had cassette tapes of, of little... Uh, children's Christian songs that were putting verses to music and we had videos and we had all of this stuff. And what I love so much, obviously we have music in children's church here. What I love so much is there's something about putting scripture to music that helps you remember it, right? That helps you memorize it. And so my point is this, that it is wonderful and it is vital in your home to have scripture read, sung, you know, told in stories, watched on DVDs, watched online, whatever it might be, that's great. But you know what's more important than reading scripture? Living scripture in front of your children. That's what matters most. Not perfectly. 
because none of us do it perfectly. But I love the fact that Paul, as he talks about Timothy's grandmother and mother, is they had a lived out faith. Lived out faith. You know, it's tragic to me that culture and and over centuries, people have talked about kind of the, the sacred and the secular, that concept. Meaning, I do sacred things when I'm in sacred places like the church or in a Bible study. And then I have this other part of my life. And there's kind of this compartmentalizing of our lives. God has never said that. We live out scripture wherever we are. That's God's design. That's God's plan for us. And the fact that Timothy lived in a home where it certainly was probably read and recited, maybe even memorized, it was lived out. So that's my exhortation to you, my dear brothers and sisters, especially those of you who still have children at home, whether they're six months old or 17 years old or whatever they might be. They watch you. They watch you. Our kids do. How we react, how we respond, what we initiate, what we demonstrate are the priorities of the life of a Christian. All of those, how we treat other people, how we treat when we are wronged, other, how we treat other people, how we react, all of those things are observed by our kids. And that's a powerful, challenging accountability, isn't it? To have a Christian home that's not just a Christian home in name, but we're all striving to truly live it out. Timothy had that privilege in the home he grew up with. So I like to call that a scripture legacy, a scripture legacy in his home. And it was, he was a third generation. He had a godly grandmother, he had a godly mother, and he himself had become a godly man. A scripture legacy. Sometimes I run into people, it's just so beautiful that they talk about their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents And maybe they've heard from their grandparents about their great-great-grandparents. And you hear this godly legacy of, of generations of people who truly walked with God and loved God and loved the word of God. And you just think that is incredible. Because many, many of us don't have that. Many of you might be like me that on my mom's side, there were some believers. On my dad's side, I don't know that there was any other believers his parents, grandparents who who knew Christ, which breaks my heart, actually, as I start talking about it. And my mom and dad were the legacy starters. (laughs) You see, that's that's the thing that's so beautiful, is even if you don't come from a, a legacy or a heritage of people who were godly people generation after generation, you can start it. Amen? We can And then we pass that on to our children and then to our grandchildren and on and on it goes because there's something incredibly powerful when generations walk with God. There's something very blessed and beautiful about that life. So that's what I see in Timothy and that's what Paul is just kind of commending Timothy and thanking God for, for Timothy, that his life was a reflection of a, gla- a godly grandmother and a godly grandfather, a godly grandmother and a godly mother, 
who lived it out. And that, my friends, is the key. Live it out. Live it out. There's another word in this verse, and it's the word sincere faith. Did you see that? They have a sincere faith. Or Timothy, you have a sincere faith. The word sincere very simply means genuine. That's what it means. Let me tell you something I've observed over the many years that I've been in ministry. It is awesome and wonderful and beautiful when a child makes a decision to ask Jesus to be his or her savior, Lord and savior, when they are four years old, five years old, seven, eight years old. It's a beautiful thing. And yet here's a pattern that I have seen in kids. (laughs) Not all, but quite a few. They put their faith in Jesus when they're really young, maybe five. And then they're at vacation Bible school when they're eight and they raise their hand to put their faith in Jesus again. And then when they're a teenager, they go to a camp or they go to a conference and God moves in their hearts and they commit themselves to Jesus again. And I think that's a good thing. (laughs) I observe that in my children and both of my daughters because I think that commitment is because of a deeper understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But here's the deal. Here's what I want to say. I think we need to be very careful when a child professes to know to come to Jesus at a really young age, a five, six, seven-year-old, and then goes ahead and gets baptized, which is a wonderful thing when they're eight or nine or 10. And we see no evidence whatsoever as they enter into their teen years, as they enter into their college. We see no evidence or fruit, as we call it. And as I study scripture, as I study what does it mean to be saved, it means that there is a change in your life. It means that you begin to evidence, provide some evidence that you're a child of God. And again, not perfectly by any means. And so I have said to parents, and I want to be careful because I never want to sound unloving or insensitive, is I know that your son when he was six, raised his hand at VBS to trust Jesus, maybe even got baptized. But maybe they're telling me that spiritually there is nothing there. There is no evidence of any kind of walk with Christ, relationship with Jesus, that kind of thing. And so I guess I'm sharing that with you to let you know that real faith is a lived out faith. It's a genuine faith. And when we really come to know Christ, you know, we might not have a lot of fruit, but there begins to be some evidence. So don't just, whether it's one of your children or one of your siblings, I mean, I've done enough funerals, I have, and weddings and other things that I've done over the years, where we want to point to an event where somebody walked an aisle, raised a hand, whatever they might have done, and yet... If we're brutally honest, do we really, really, really think they're saved? The answer may be very possibly not. And you know what the most courageous and loving thing to do is to talk to them about it. And you're saying, my brother already won't talk to me, you know, because he thinks all I want to do is cram religion down his throat or whatever it might be. Well, you know what? The stakes are incredibly high about what a person does with the gospel. Amen? The stakes are incredibly high. They're eternal. 
So I love the fact that Paul talks about a sincere faith because a sincere faith is a genuine, true faith in Christ. And when we truly have put our faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live with us, within us, there will be some evidence of that. I guess that's what I want to want to share with you, especially as I talk about this idea of legacy. We want treat people to have a genuine faith. Okay. Let me keep moving on. I'm going to jump into verse 16 in our passage because it's like the Apostle Paul takes this opportunity as, after he's talking to Timothy to say, I want to make sure you know what the word of God really is. This is so incredible. This is one of the most amazing verses to me in the New Testament. Paul says, by the way, let me talk to you about the word of God. All scripture is God breathed. That is the best translation of that Greek word. Because that's exactly what it is. It's the word God and the word breathed put together. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God breathed. So many implications of the fact that scripture was breathed out by an almighty, perfect, holy, sinless creator God. There are implications of that. I prefer that so much over some translations say all scripture is inspired by God. I think King James and some others. Let me tell you why I I love this God breathed that the NIV, the way it translates it. Because inspiration, oh, I saw the most beautiful sunset and I was so inspired. What do we mean when we say that? Oh, I was emotionally moved. Or I listened to this songwriter who wrote this incredible song, this popular song, and she shared what her inspiration was in writing it. So often when we hear the word inspiration, we think, oh, I was just really moved. These people were just moved to write about God. No, that's not what this is about. It's scripture was breathed out by a holy God. Therefore, the implications are that scripture was given by God without error. We use the term inerrancy. Some of you know that term. Scripture was given without without error. So the original authors of scripture wrote, this is what we believe, this is what Mission Point believes, the original writings of scripture were given without any error. They were 100% what God wanted communicated. Now, often people ask this question, but wasn't scripture written, written through imperfect people? That's a good point. And Peter addresses that. I'm going to have you turn to another passage. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Okay? Here's what Peter writes. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There is a mystery aspect and a miraculous aspect to how scripture came to be. God is perfect, but God worked through imperfect people to create his perfect product called scripture. What's so fascinating is he used 
the personality, the writing style, the life experiences, the circumstances of every single different author of scripture. So when I read the writings of Moses, for example, in the book of Genesis, and then I read the writings of James in the book of James, the style's kind of different. Or when I read the Psalms, they even wrote in what we call different genres, poetry, narrative, all of those kinds of different things. That's the miracle of the Bible. And that's what the Bible says about itself. That as God gave it through these different scripture writers, the product was exactly, exactly what God wanted it to be. Okay? So that's the incredible nature of scripture. And that's why I call, I, I call it scripture supremacy. Scripture supremacy. No other source compares to the word of God. In fact, in theological circles, we call it God's special revelation to his people. That's what scripture is. There's nothing like it. There's nothing that compares to it. 2020 was a year for me where I heard a lot of people's opinions about a lot of things. Surprising to anybody? And one of the things I tend to think and do is people are saying, well, did you know, boom, 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 boom. Much of it was political and almost everything's political now, I guess we can say. But people would share their incredibly strong dogmatic opinion about something with me. And I'll just tell you the, the question that pops in my head. And if I know the person well, and they know I love them, I'll probably verbalize it. Can you tell me who or what is your source? That's a pretty common question I have. So you're telling me all of this. I'd love to know what is your source or who is your source? And they may not even know. Because <laughs> I heard somebody who told somebody at work this. And so obviously it's true, you know. No, no. Who or what is your source to your whole view of not just 2020, but life? Where does that come from? My friends, we are unbelievably blessed that we have the supreme source. It's called God's word. God's word. Scripture is supreme, period. Stick with the Bible. Stick with the Bible, with what the Bible has to say. You know, it's been tragic, and I will use that word. It's been tragic for me. I have friends, and this has not happened to me personally, but I have friends who have had friends for 30 years, who because of caustic disagreement debate that's gone on in the last year, they don't speak to each other anymore. The dogmatism, the passion, the the rage with which some people speak about their position on issues, especially political, has caused incredible, in my opinion, division and harm, even in the body of Christ. It's tragic. And it deeply harms our testimony to the world. Who's your source? What's your source? Stick with the word of God. Stick with the word of God. You know, the word of God can be very unifying if we stick with the word of God. Okay? 
Scripture supremacy. That is God's word. Along with being God breathed, I love this. It also says in this verse that scripture is useful. (laughs) I love this. This is so great. Scripture is useful. God gave us scripture not just to say these are awesome stories or that the poetry in Psalms is so beautiful, you know, or I love hearing history because I'm a history buff or whatever. No, the scriptures are useful for our lives. Okay. When God's word, much of it written, written thousands of years ago is applied to your life. It changes you. It transforms you and me. So he goes on and tells us that scripture is useful. And did you see the four things he says? He, he points out. One is teaching. Teaching is simply instruction in the truth. We are taught truth. Scripture gives us that. We often call that doctrine. Number two is rebuking. Really? (laughs) Yeah, what's rebuking? Rebuking is confronting sin in one's life and in others' lives. Did you know it's good to self-rebuke? Any of you ever do that? (laughs) Catch yourself in your own sin and rebuke yourself, you know? Confess it, deal with it. But there are times, this is not always easy. In fact, it's never easy that you go to somebody you deeply love who's a believer and they are seriously strained or they are walking in blatant disobedience to God. We're supposed to talk to them about that. That's rebuking, sin. The idea of correcting is pointing out and addressing error. And I think what this refers to is Doctrinal error or things that are not true. The rebuke deals with dealing with sin. This one deals with error, things that are not true. And then the fourth one is training in righteousness, guiding others in living out the truth. They all point to a godly lifestyle. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like uh, teaching and training rebuking and correcting is really fun. That's not fun for me. I don't like to do that. But isn't it interesting that of the four things that Paul mentions in terms of the usefulness of scripture, two of them are dealing with sin and dealing with falsehood or heresy or error. Two of them are. That doesn't mean we do it harshly. That doesn't mean we ever do it in a mean-spirited, unloving way. But there are times, my friends, I hope, because it takes courage that you speak up, whether it's in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your own family, and say, I I don't think that's true. I don't think that's correct. And often you get pushback, well, then what's your opinion? And I said, my opinion is really God's opinion, if you want to know the truth, because God's word says. And again, You might be ready for a little blowback. Some people don't like that. But I'm just, I was reminded again as I studied this that that two out of the four purposes of scripture are challenging people about sin and about error in their lives. So important to remember that. Okay, I I gotta wrap up here. So I'm gonna give you a verse 17. And that is so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isn't that incredible? Thoroughly equipped for every good 
work. I call this scripture sufficiency. Scripture is sufficient. Me living out God's word consistently is sufficient for me to live a life that brings honor and glory to Jesus. That's the point. You know, we can spend incredible time studying, preparing for all kinds of things, for a job, for a degree, you know, fill in the blank, you know, equipping ourselves, you know, so that we can get a great job or make money or, you know, fill in the blank. God wants us to learn the word of God so that we're equipped for life, for life. It needs to be that high of a priority for each one of us. I don't know if you picked up on this, but every quarter we're reading through together as a church, a book of the Bible. And May is Proverbs month. Now we figured out how to make sure you could read a chapter a day by choosing Proverbs, which has, you know how many chapters Proverbs has, by the way? Oh, 31. How many days in May? Oh, 31. There you go. Today is Proverbs 9, because today is May 9th. Took a lot of work to figure that method out, as you can imagine. Hope you'll do that. And, uh, and you can read it multiple times. Proverbs are amazing. They're amazing. You talk about practical wisdom for life. Proverbs filled with, is filled with that. But something else I want to mention, and Emily's mentioned it, and you've heard it next month, the month of June, starting June 8th, Tuesday night from 7 to 8.30, we'll be providing a four-week class called How to Study the Bible. And we'll have an opportunity to just do some very, I think, helpful, hopefully uh, not deeply challenging principles of how to study your Bible how to get more out of your Bible. Understanding things like the context or what a specific book, what its purpose was, or when James wrote it or Peter wrote it or Paul wrote it, what were they writing to? What was some of the cultural background or political issue that was occurring at the time? Just getting some insight into that. And then obviously we're gonna lean heavy on application of God's word to our lives. So. We're praying for a bunch of people. This will be one of our very first events in the new Russell Center in our new property. So we'll be there Tuesday nights, four Tuesdays beginning June 8th. I would love for you to be a part of that. We're just really asking the Lord to kind of move people, motivate people to want to take a step or two in, in doing Bible study a little bit more in depth because the Bible is a treasure it's so excited when you start to learn. You don't have to listen to guys like me or Kondo. You're learning a lot of this stuff on your own because you've been given some tools to be able to dig a little deeper. That is just so incredibly exciting to me. And some of you have already signed up. Thank you, thank you. We have 15. We want 50 or 60 or 70. Who knows? We can hold a lot in the Russell Center. And uh, we'll learn together how to dig in and love and most of all live out the word of God. Okay? I'm gonna pray. Father, thanks so much for (laughs) the word of God that teaches us about you, that teaches us about Jesus, that shows us how to live our lives in ways that bring honor and glory to you. Thank you that you have given us the scriptures. I pray, Father, that you would give each one of us a greater appetite 
to read it, to know it, to study it, and most of all, to live it, to obey it. So thank you for this series focusing on God's word. May we be a people who um, see that it is the supreme authority in what we believe and how we think and how we even relate to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.